Salvation by grace through faith in Christ, that was always God's plan A. It was always what he intended to do. It wasn't God's backup plan for when things went wrong in the Old Testament and didn't work out quite as he had hoped. It was his plan A. You're listening to Encounter the Truth with Jonathan Griffiths, and uh, today we're going to be taking a look at the book of Galatians, chapter 3. But, uh, Jonathan, you point out that salvation through Christ was always a part of God's plan. And when we look back at the Old Testament, we see, you know, Adam and Eve in the garden falling short, and then it is thousands and thousands and thousands of years before the coming of Jesus. Sometimes I wonder, uh, what took so long for God to work out his plan? Well, trying to figure out how the Old Testament and the progress of the plan of God and the history of the people of God, how that fits in with the gospel, it can be a challenging thing. And we need to do a little bit of work in putting the Bible together to understand how everything progresses in a logical way. But one of the mistakes I think we can make is to think, well, God tried something out in the Old Testament and with Israel and with the law and so on, and actually just at the end of the day didn't work out as he hoped, and so he tried something different now with Jesus in the gospel. I think that's a common enough mistake to make, but when we read the New Testament carefully, we learn that actually the coming of Jesus and the work of Jesus at Calvary, that was always God's plan. And everything that happened in the Old Testament, the giving of the law included, and the failure of the people to keep the law included, all of it was set to point forward to Christ. And and partly it was just showing up the absolute need of a Savior because no human being can save himself or herself. We need a savior. Such a good reminder. You know, we look at the nation of Israel or individuals in the Old Testament and you think, oh, maybe they'll get it this time, maybe this time. But time and time and time again, they all fall short. And as you say, just reminding us of the fact that, no, it is that need of Jesus. And uh, I love how you point out the fact that The entire Old Testament points us to him. So we're going to continue to look at that today from the book of Galatians. We're in chapter 3, so grab a Bible and join us there as we continue the message, God's Plan A. Here is Jonathan. Abraham believed the Lord, and he credited it to him as righteousness. The Lord made astounding covenant promises to Abraham. He tapped him on the shoulder that day right out of the blue, and told him that he would give him blessings untold, not because Abraham somehow deserved them, but because God is a God of grace and generosity. He was going to pour out his kindness upon Abraham. And Abraham's response, well, it was to believe God. And as Abraham took God at his word, as he believed God's promise, as he had faith in God, the Lord credited Abraham's faith to him as righteousness. That is, he took a sinful man who had believing faith, and he declared him on the basis of that faith to be right with him. He declared him righteous. He declared him not guilty. He justified Abraham. Now, that is the core of the gospel, isn't it? That is the message that you and I believe and that we have put our trust in. God promises blessing to those who will take him at his word. And as sinful, guilty people do that very thing, as we trust that God will do what he has said he will do, he credits faith to us as righteousness. 
he makes us right with him. And so the gospel is right here, right in the first book of the Bible in the early chapters. We've barely got through creation and fall, and God is announcing his great gospel plan to save. Now, that plan will come to fruition ultimately through that great coming son of Abraham, the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Salvation is going to come to the world through him, through his life, through his death, through his resurrection. And so what we see from Abraham's story is that salvation by grace through faith in Christ, that was always God's plan A. It was always what he intended to do. It wasn't God's backup plan for when things went wrong in the Old Testament and didn't work out quite as he had hoped. It was his initial plan. It was his main plan. It was his plan A. And Paul wants us to see that. He wants us to take it on board. Back to Galatians now in chapter 3 and verse 6. He writes this, verse 6, Consider Abraham, he believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Understand then that those who believe are children of Abraham. The Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you so that those who have faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Abraham was the man of faith, Paul tells us. He was a genuine believer, a model believer in this one sense. He trusted the Word of God. He believed the promise of God. And all those who share the faith of Abraham, whether Jew or Gentile, Paul tells us, are children of Abraham. All those who have faith share ultimately the blessings of Abraham. Now, that really is a very fundamental and foundational truth for us to understand, that the gospel is right there in Genesis, that Abraham was justified by faith, that we're all part of Abraham's family of faith as we share his belief. It is hugely important. That core insight actually helps us to tie the whole of the Scripture together but I think we can very easily miss that truth, a truth that's hiding in plain sight. One consequence of missing that truth is that we'll fail to see this line of continuity that runs right through the whole of Scripture from Genesis through to Revelation. And we'll be in danger, if we miss it, of actually tearing our Bible into two separate books, an Old Testament and a New Testament, an Old Testament that teaches Judaism and a New Testament that teaches the gospel. And we'll fail to see the wonder of God's amazing plan of salvation in Christ, a plan that he has been working out steadily from start to finish. And for the Galatians, if they failed to see that truth in their particular situation, they would quickly believe and quickly latch on to this false teaching that was coming their way. They would quickly believe the teachers who insisted that the Scriptures taught that works were necessary for salvation that the Scriptures taught that certain religious rites and rituals would be required of them if they were to be saved. And even for us today, I think it's easy to fall into a mindset and an assumption that God actually, in the final accounting, will deal with us according to our works. The assumption that somehow what will be important in the final accounting is our deeds rather than our faith. 
we see, of course, so much in the Old Testament that speaks about what God requires of His people in terms of obedience, and we just imagine that somehow, somewhere, this God of the Scriptures is essentially interested in those things, fundamentally concerned with our obedience when it comes to our salvation. But here in Genesis 15, right here in the story of Abraham, is this stunning reminder, this foundational lesson for us all. God has always been in the business of justifying His people by faith. That was the foundation of His dealings with Israel. That was His plan of salvation for the nations, and it is still the means by which we join His family and enter into His salvation blessing. It is still the means by which we are saved from the judgment to come. This is Encounter the Truth with Jonathan Griffiths, and we're going to get back to this message, Jesus, God's Plan A, in just a moment. If you have joined us a little late, I want you to know we're in the book of Galatians, chapter 3 today, looking at verses 1 to 14. And we're going to continue to look at how justification is by faith in Christ alone from that passage in just a few moments. If you ever miss one of the broadcasts in the series, though, you can always come and listen at our website. It's EncounterTheTruth.org. That's EncounterTheTruth.org. All right, let's get back to the message. Once again, here is Jonathan. Paul's third and final argument now comes from the nature of the law itself, and it carries on from this discussion of Abraham. The argument from the law. Here we're getting into the very fabric of Old Testament life, and here we're digging into this quite complex question of the nature and the purpose of the Old Testament law. Question actually really pops up right away for us if we think about it because of what Paul has just shown us from Abraham. If the foundation of everything for Israel was this amazing truth, this stunning truth that sinners are justified by faith, if that's how Abraham was saved, if that was the basis of Israel's relationship with God, then what was going on with the law? What, what was the purpose of the law and all those requirements and all those statutes? It's a pressing question. It's a very significant question because it could have seemed like law-keeping was the way of salvation in Old Testament times. Ever wondered that? Ever thought about that? After all, there really is quite a lot in the Old Testament about what God needed His people to do. There were lots of rites and lots of rituals, lots of things to obey. It seems pretty clear that at least some Jews in Paul's day believed that salvation did depend on law-keeping. After all, that's why the crisis at Galatia is actually happening in the first place. And many of us, of course, may assume that basically the big difference between Old Testament religion, the big difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament is that Old Testament people were actually saved by works. That was what was going on back then. But in the New Testament, now we're saved by faith, and it's quite a different thing. It's really quite a different religion. But Paul has just shown us that that actually wasn't the case. The story of Abraham demonstrates that to us. God justified Abraham by faith before even the law was written. And so now to drive home the point, Paul wants to show us that the law was never designed to bring salvation to God's people. In our next passage, uh, in a couple of weeks' time, we're going to see a little bit more about what positively the law was designed to do. But for now, he wants us to see very clearly this negative side, what the law was never designed to do, what the law could never accomplish. 
And the main thing that Paul wants us to learn about the nature of the Old Testament law is simply this. The law was never designed to justify sinners. It was never designed to be God's means of salvation for his people. And in fact, he wants us to see that anyone who would look to the law for salvation, who would look to the law to make them right with God, well, they're actually in a great deal of trouble, verse 10. All who rely on observing the law are under a curse, for it is written, cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. It's become a hauntingly and tragically familiar story in recent months and years. A flimsy boat carrying hundreds of migrants from North Africa to Europe capsizes or sinks in the Mediterranean, and only a handful of survivors are ever found. In the urgent rush to escape troubled regions in the Middle East and Africa over recent years, tens of thousands of desperate migrants have paid a lot of money to unscrupulous smugglers to transport them across the Mediterranean Sea. But they've entrusted their lives to these flimsy little rubber boats and small fishing vessels, boats never designed for navigating the open seas, never designed for carrying large numbers of people. They put their confidence in vessels that were never designed for the job, and for many, it has been a tragically fatal decision. The surprising lesson of verses 10 through 14 is this. The Old Testament law was never designed to save sinners. Despite whatever we may have assumed, the law in itself could never save. It would only ever condemn sinners. You may know that the Old Testament law set out a series of blessings for those who would be faithful and obedient to it, and a set of curses for those who would disobey. A faithful and obedient Israel, according to the law, would be an Israel that knew and experienced the rich blessings of God. But a disobedient and an unfaithful Israel would experience the judgment of God. These blessings and curses are laid out for us in two key Old Testament passages, one in the book of Leviticus and one in the book of Deuteronomy. And here in verse 10, Paul is quoting from the Deuteronomy section, from the end of Deuteronomy chapter 27. Now, we won't try and go into all the details of those passages, those blessings and those curses. That is a study in and of itself. But we just need to see the key principle here. There was the possibility of both blessing and of curse under the Old Testament law. And the key was obedience. Obedience would lead to blessing, and disobedience would lead to curse. That's the dynamic. That's the deal. But the hard reality is that sinful human beings will only ever manage to merit God's curse and will never win his blessing. Notice again these words from Deuteronomy, verse 10, cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. It's not like our high school math exam where 51% will carry us through. To avoid the curse of God and to merit the blessing of God, 100% obedience is required because our God is a holy God. The Old Testament law with its blessings and curses, it teaches us on the one hand that God is willing and God is ready to bless his people, 
But it also teaches us, on the other hand, that each one of us deserves his curse, deserves his judgment for our failure to keep his perfect standards. And so, ultimately, the law actually leaves us in a quandary in quite a difficult place. What is the way forward? What can we do to avoid the curse of God? What can we do to merit the blessing of God? Well, verse 13, here's where this thing is headed. Here is where the law is driving us. Here is where the law actually finds fulfillment. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. The book of Deuteronomy, the same book that sets out that list of potential blessings and curses, it lays out this summary curse for the offender, a kind of symbolic low for the person deserving the judgment of God. It says this in Deuteronomy 21, verse 23, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. Because of our sin, each one of us is in bondage or should be in bondage to the curse of God. We have no escape from His judgment on our own. But praise God, there is one man who stands out from the crowd in this respect, who is distinct from us in this way. Jesus Christ never rebelled against God the Father. He never broke His divine law. He never spoke an untrue word. He never acted with any unkindness. He never thought a lustful thought. He never stole or cheated or maligned. He never broke the law. He didn't fall under the curse of the law. In fact, quite the opposite is true of Jesus Christ. He is the one man who ever walked the face of this earth who actually merited the blessing of God according to the law of God. Of all the Israelites who ever lived, Jesus is the only one who merited completely the full blessing of God. Nevertheless, nonetheless, here is what he did. Wonder of wonders, here is the heart of the gospel. Christ redeemed us from that curse of the law by himself becoming a curse for us. At the cross, he took on himself our sin, our guilt, our shame. And as we're told elsewhere in the scriptures, he became sin for us. And bearing our sin, becoming our sin, he became our curse. He embodied the curse. He entered into the very judgment that we deserve. He entered into the very judgment that symbolizes that curse and sums it up. He was hung on a tree. And because he became our curse, bearing our sin, he now opens the way for us to receive the blessing of God which he has merited, which he has earned. A blessing we don't deserve and a blessing we could never earn. Verse 14, he redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Jesus Christ, so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. Remember where we began this morning a few minutes ago? We began with that question of how it was that the Galatians received the gift of God's Holy Spirit, received spiritual life, new life, true life. And Paul reminded them back at the beginning of the chapter that they received the Spirit through believing what they heard, not through doing the works of the law, not through their own efforts. Now we come full circle. We come full circle because Paul shows us that God's intention was always to bring his salvation blessing, the gift of his spirit, 
new life, eternal life, his intention was always to bring salvation blessings to his people who could never deserve it themselves. The law with its blessings and its curses actually shows us and actually teaches us that we could never merit or earn the salvation of God. But because Jesus has won that blessing for us, and because he offers it to us on the basis of his merit alone, it can actually be ours, although we don't deserve it. Paul wanted the Galatian Christians to be 100% convinced that God declares sinners righteous by faith alone and not at all by works. And the Lord wants each of us here to be convinced, 100% convinced of that same truth today. Paul has set out this series of careful and well-reasoned arguments to convince and to reconvince us of that truth. But this is no mere intellectual exercise. It's like being convinced of the truth that seatbelts save lives. The campaigners who have pushed and continue to push to get that message across to us don't do so for the sake of our intellectual interests, do they? They don't do so that we might go deeper into the academic literature on road safety. They do so that we might wear seatbelts and so be saved if and when the crash happens. And Paul sets out to convince us of this truth that we might rely upon it, that we might use it and so survive the judgment of God. And so as we finish, I think each one of us needs to ask the obvious question, the crucial question, am I convinced, 100% convinced, that a sinner like me is only made right with a holy God as I trust in Jesus and His finished work at the cross? Am I convinced, 100% convinced, that the only way of salvation is by faith in Him. If you're someone who's new to Christian things and you're here exploring the Christian faith, let me ask you, have you been convinced this morning that God offers salvation only by faith in Christ and not through good deeds, not through religious rite, and not through religious ritual? And if you've been convinced of it today by the Apostle Paul, are you ready to respond to it? Are you ready to put your trust in Christ? Because that's the crucial thing. If you're a long-time believer, are you still trusting in Christ and in Him alone? Or have you done that dangerous thing of beginning to place confidence in yourself, beginning to place confidence in your works, your service, your moral goodness? Are you in danger of losing your grip on the gospel through self-confidence? Or, or at the other end of the spectrum, are you in danger of losing your grip in the gospel through self-despair, thinking that your sin and your failure are simply too great, too long-standing, too deep? Although you believe in theory that God has made you right by His grace and through faith, you feel that your miserable record of failure has somehow over time undermined that salvation, somehow undone it. The doctrine of justification by faith teaches us and reminds us that we are really made right with God by faith on the basis of what Jesus has done and on that basis alone. 
And if it happens that we're losing our grip on the gospel today, if we are losing sight of the clarity and the simplicity and the sheer power of the gospel today, if that's what's going on with any of us, Paul would shake us up and he would wake us up and he would say to us, you foolish Canadians, what are you thinking? And he would call us to see it again, to be convinced of it again, and to believe it again. Jonathan Griffiths, as we wrap up today's message, Jesus, God's Plan A. It's part of a larger series called Jesus Plus Nothing. And if you've missed any of the broadcasts in the series, you can always come to our website and listen online. Just stop by EncounterTheTruth.org. And while you're there, would you consider giving a gift of support? We stay on the station because of your generosity. But we want to say thank you for your gift by sending you a book called True Friendship. It's our way of saying thanks for your generosity and supporting Encounter the Truth this month. You can give online at EncounterTheTruth.org or when you call us at 833-99-TRUTH. That's 833-998-7884 or EncounterTheTruth.org. Well, thanks for listening today, and I do hope you'll join us next time.